You're listening to River City Mystery Podcast, the show that delves into the Evansville and surrounding tri-state area's mysteries, including unsolved crimes, murders and disappearances, a show that isn't afraid to jump down the rabbit hole to investigate reports of local hauntings, sightings of UFOs and cryptids, among other paranormal phenomena. With your host, co-founder of the Humans of Evansville Facebook page, law office worker by day, insomniac researcher of the bazaar by night, Matt Dyg. In tonight's episode, we travel to a little town in Davies County, Indiana, known as Odin, the site of a decades-old mystery which the Indiana State Fire Marshal referred to as the most baffling mystery he had ever seen before he closed the case unsolved, a case that has come to be known as the Odin Fire Poltergeist. As I was going through my list of, of potential mysteries to, to look into, I'm, I've always been a fan of uh, looking into curses and, and cursed people and teams and ground and things like that. This one definitely fits the bill of perhaps being cursed ground or property that's cursed. I don't know if, what your opinion is on curses or cursed people or that sort of a thing, but sometimes there are certain people or families um, grounds that bad things seem to happen for whether, whether it's, you know, brought up upon by themselves or if there is an actual curse or, or whatever, it's hard to de- deny that some people and things and teams seem to have fallen victim to the curse. Just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of the Kennedy family curse. There's all kinds of tragedy that has befallen the uh, Kennedys from JFK to his brother, Robert and, there's a whole list of other tragedies that you start to wonder, what are the chances of all of these horrible things happening to one family? You've got the curse of King Tut's tomb, uh, the people who passed away when they opened the tomb, the billy goat curse from the Cubs when William uh, Cyanus brought his billy goat Murphy to the 1945 World Series. He was kicked out of the game. On his way out, he cursed the team, and I believe... The team did not see a World Series for another 71 years before they broke that curse. Some people assign that to the curse. Other people just say that's what it was just a 71-year drought and nothing to do with the curse. I know some Indianapolis Colts fans secretly wonder if maybe Peyton Manning didn't mutter some kind of curse or two on the way out the door when he was let go from the Colts. Don't get me started on that, though. Now, the grounds that the Odin fire poltergeist that we're going to be talking about tonight occurred on is it occurred in Odin, Indiana. And we need to talk a little bit about the history of this ground, because once we start looking at the history of this particular piece of ground, we start to wonder if maybe this area isn't cursed or this piece of property is cursed. Um, Certainly an argument could be made that it is. About 20 years prior to the U.S. Civil War, a Tennessee native named Marshall Ketchum moved to the Davies County, Indiana area. At that time that he moved there, it wasn't known as Odin. That area in Davies County was known as Clarksburg after George Rogers Clark. Just after the end of the U.S. Civil War, Marshall built a two-story frame house and lived there with his wife, Margaret, and their children. The house that Marshall built is the actual property, that's the grounds that the Odin fire poltergeist will occur at much later. But we're we're talking about, you know, we're kind of going into the history of this ground, 
Mr. Marshall was the first one to build on that property with his wife. They had two children together, at least two children as the, uh, that were listed in the 1860 census in the Davies County area. He built the house about four miles northwest of town right off the main road. The first tragedy to strike on this property occurred in the 1880s when five members of the Marshall family passed away from the burning fever, which it's believed that was uh, most likely typhus, uh, the burning fever. And according to an obituary in the Indianapolis News, Marshall was not one of those who passed away, and he died uh, later in 1899. After Mr. Marshall passed away, the home was sold to a southerner named Andrew Wickle and his wife. Andrew Wickle was a spiritualist, so he, he thought he could communicate with the dead. And so he goes into the property uh, with this belief already. And he and his wife had two sons. And unfortunately, one of those two sons was shot to death in a hunting accident. This really hit Mr. Wickle pretty badly. He was inconsolable and grieved over the loss of his son for many years. He actually had his son buried a few hundred yards west of the house in a casket that he had custom-built with an embedded glass window so the child's face could be seen. So he had the, buried the son in a casket with, I'm guessing, some sort of a cavern or a, some sort of a shaft where he could actually shine a light down or something to see his son's face, um, even though he had been buried in, in this casket. Not creepy at all. And I think that his wife was not a huge fan of this idea. I think she went along with it because, you know, he was so inconsolable and, you know, there's the way he was, his, her husband was dealing with the grief. Also, her husband claimed their deceased son had made his presence known to, to them and, or to him anyway, and that he regularly had conversations with his deceased son. After Mr. Wickle passed away, it was rumored that his wife had the boy's casket dug up and moved to a nearby cemetery so she wouldn't have to, you know, see that in the backyard all the time, which, understandable. Years later, in 1930, the property is for sale. I don't know if what happened with uh, Mrs. Wickle, if she just decided to get out of there or what. The records show that in the in 1930, the property is purchased by a William Hackler, and he lived there at the property with his wife Minnie and their five children, and they lived there for a decade. With and there really weren't any incidents to talk about. That all changed dramatically in the summer of 1940. However, Don Cosby wrote an article in the Washington Times Herald in October 2010 focusing on the Odin Fire Poltergeist case. Don Cosby was selected as the Davies County Historian by the Indiana Historical Society. He's written several books on the topics related to Davies County and southern Indiana, such as Revisiting the Past, Legends, Legacy, and Folklore, and My Scrapbook. If you're interested in checking out those books, check out the links in my show notes at rivercitymystery.com slash four. And I actually had the brief opportunity to speak with Don, and he was able to help me out with a few questions I had, which I very much appreciate him taking his time out of his day to answer those for me. He's 90 years old, but still on top of his game, and you'll hear a little bit of our interview later in this episode. 
this is the article that Don wrote in the Washington Times Herald in October 2010 about the Odin Fire Poltergeist. The Washington Herald published a rather remarkable, if not unbelievable, story of details of the event that were not only witnessed, but were verified by neighbors who visited the home of William Hackler Friday, June 21st, 1940. Personally, I would probably be one of the first to suspect a staged event by the family, but after authorities had investigated all possible scenarios, this story still remains a mystery. You therefore are permitted to accept the story as fact, or if you choose, dismiss it as total nonsense. William Hackler lived on a large two-story house on top of a hill, surrounded by large pine trees about four miles northwest of Odin, the old house has been gone for years, of course, but some of the older folks in town may remember it. One of the articles stated that the old house was located on a high hill about 100 yards off the road, just east of the abandoned Hastings School. Mr. Hackler drove a truck and collected milk from local farmers, but was getting back into town around 9 a.m. He was told that the Odin fire truck had gone to his house earlier, but everything was okay now. He decided to finish the rest of his route, but everything was not all right as he later found out. When he got home around 10 a.m. and until 11 that night, he was kept busy watching for fires to break out. Dorothy Heckler found the first fire in an upstairs room. The strip of wallpaper just ignited on the wall. Of course, the fire department thought of a defective chimney, but there was no chimney even close to that wall. Also, remember, it was June, and there was no fire in the stove. They tore off the plaster, and there was no chimney behind it. The second fire broke out on the opposite side of the house. Again, firemen tore plaster and lathes off down to the studs, finding no evidence of where the fire had traveled underneath the lathes or between the ceiling and floor of the second story. It had simply just broken out, just like the first. This was on the west side of the building, and it was feared... The whole house might catch fire, but water from a cistern prevented the fires from spreading and the family were able to put them out as they occurred. Heckler said, from that time on, all day Friday, it was just one fire after another. Most of these fires were small, but appeared to be spontaneous. One fire occurred inside a desk where papers caught fire. Another while two women from Odin had stopped to visit curtains on a window directly behind them suddenly burst into flames, but strangely, the window shades were not burned. Then suddenly, the curtains across the room hanging out a window ignited in the same fashion. Another fire broke out in a bedroom. Paper that had been placed between the springs and the mattress broke out into flames, destroying the mattress. A calendar in another room burst into flames, but strangely, it, doesn't, it did no damage to the wallpaper. In another room, a pair of trousers hanging on a hook against the wall caught fire. One of the neighbors said, If I had not been in that house at that time and seen it with my own eyes, I would not have believed it. Another person said, The devil is in that house. Mr. Hackler said, I don't believe in spooks, so the only thing I was afraid of that night was fire breaking out that way. In the course of the next few days, hundreds of people visited the Heckler home, going away completely mystified about the actual cause of the fires. All these fires had one thing in common. They had no explanation. Some said the house was haunted. Others said it was cursed. 
one such story could lend credence to the fact that it was told that the house did have quite a background. Mr. Cosby goes on to talk about the uh, spiritualist who lived there, which I've already, I've already talked about. The entire Hackler family was quite shaken, and Virginia Hackler, a 10-year-old daughter, was especially frightened. In fact, being unable to know what else the family might be required to endure, the family slept in the front yard the night after the fires. Even at that, I'm sure sleep didn't come easy for the family that night. Later, Heckler, in an effort to find the answers to the problem, contacted the state fire marshal for assistance. Oddly enough, eight years later, on October 23, 1948, in Macomb, Illinois, the home of Charles Willie experienced almost exactly the same situation as the Heckler family did. The Willie family had numerous small fires. However, they finally lost two barns and their home to fires. To my knowledge, no satisfactory logical causes were ever found to explain the fires. The mystery continues yet today. The Traveler's Insurance Company used the Hackler story in an ad in the April 19, 1941 edition of Collier's Magazine. The ad stated under a photo with a little story about the 28 fires. The ad stated, It is very unlikely you will ever be the victim of a mysterious siege of fires like this, but one fire without enough insurance properly written is one too many. As I was doing research on this poltergeist case, I wanted to find out where exactly this farm was. Obviously, there had to be a well-known area or people had to, in that region, know where the farm was. I couldn't find, I looked through many, many stories, and all of the stories pretty much say the same things. And there were very few references to the actual location of this farm. So I reached out to Mr. Cosby and asked if he knew, since he's from Davies County, if he knew exactly where this farm was, I wanted to take a little day trip up there to Davies County and see it for myself, see where this farm was. Now, there were other stories. This was not in Mr. Cosby's story, so I don't know. I can't verify whether this is true or not. But there were other stories that stated that the hacklers moved. They, they actually tore their house down and moved their home a few miles up the road. Mr. Cosby did not confirm this, and uh, he'll explain that here in a minute, but it appears as though there's no house there now, so either they, either the house was demolished for whatever reason, or maybe, maybe they did rebuild the same home a few miles up the road. That is kind of unknown, but I did ask Mr. Cosby where the home was, where was this piece of ground, and this was his response. I have talked to a, a couple of people in, in that area, older people. I'm 90 years old, and uh, I, I talked to a couple of people that uh, are about my age, um, a little less. I, I am a, aware of the of the case, the um, poltergeist uh, case, and um, but as far as as we are concerned we are unable to definitely locate that particular farm i went on to ask mr cosby if he knew what became of the heckler family like i said there are some stories that they rebuilt uh, a mile or so up the road and since mr cosby is the davies county historian i thought he might have some insight on what became of the hecklers this was his response as best I could figure out is that 
is that they did not live in the in the county very long. I kind of figured really that they they moved, you know, the the entire family moved and and there haven't been any hacklers in Davis County for long as I know. I received a letter from Don Cosby's son-in-law Mark Smith. Mark did a little bit of research and was able to provide me with what his best estimate was for the actual location of the Heckler farm. And he sent me like a, a Google image with an actual ping of the exact location. So I took a little road trip up there and checked it out. It's there's nothing, there's nothing there now. It's basically just farm ground. I'll post some pictures at, on the show notes, uh, rivercitymystery.com slash four. If you want to check them out, it's really not anything to <laughs> nothing of note, but I did. I was just curious. I wanted to see what was there, if there was anything remaining. So I appreciate Mark Smith's efforts to get me the exact location. Very much appreciated. Well, that brings this mystery to a close and thank you for joining me tonight. My next episode, I'm going to be focusing on an unsolved murder in Henderson, Kentucky something I've been looking into and it's quite a baffling case. And I will probably also be doing another update on the Teresa Rideout case. I've been contacted by some of Teresa Rideout's family and also some of Jack Barnett's family members. I might just do an update episode on that at some point in the future as well. You're all invited to join my Discord server at rivercitymystery.com slash Discord, where we discuss the episodes. If you have any topic suggestions or just want to hang out with people who are also interested in these similar topics, you're welcome to join. And that brings us to a close. Until next time, take care. <laughs>